So today's an exhortation, right? An exhortation is different from an encouragement. Let me tell you how. If you go to the dictionary and look at the definition of exhortation, this is what it says. It says it's a speech that encourages, incites, or earnestly advises. I'm just going, that's good. I particularly like the word incite, all right? I just think, man, if uh, the project could be somewhere that would incite people, not necessarily to go and start tipping over minis and setting them alight, all right, and getting violent, but just incited people, that would be a really, really good thing. Well, here's what I want to talk to you about today. It actually takes a man to be a dad. Anyone can be a father, any man can be a father, but it takes, or I should say any male can be a father, but it takes a man to be a dad. If you look at dictionary definitions of what the uh, term father uh, refers to, you actually get into lineage, you get into, it's, it's more about who's related to who. Uh, I would think that if my kids actually came up to me and started calling me father, that would be pretty weird, right? I don't know. I'd, when I was growing up, there was this kind of bit of a debate on about when you stop calling him dad and when you start calling him father, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But the transition from dad to father actually speaks about a transition from familiarity to, uh, to distance in a sense, doesn't it? That's what it is. Because if you actually look at uh, the dictionary definitions will say that Dad, the word dad, or the name dad, the title dad, is actually an informal version of father. All right? And it's probably a little sad if children in a family ever get to the point that they start calling their dad father, maybe. I'm just throwing it out there. This is not in the Bible, right? But I'm just throwing it out there because it probably speaks of a little bit more distance when it comes to relationship. I still, when I call my dad, I still... Uh, Say, g'day, Dad, how are you going? And every now and then I think, oh, I better tell him who I am, right? But I'm actually the only son in my family. And that would be weird if one of my sisters sounded like me. True? But it's like, g'day, Dad. And sometimes I think, oh, maybe I should stop calling him Dad. And I'm just going, well, he's Dad to me. And we talk about stuff. And Dad speaks of relationship rather than uh, just lineage. Now, we're not going into it. That's not the point of today's message. But anyone who's a male can be a father, Right? It's a pretty simple process, okay? And you can have a kid, all right? But just because you're a father doesn't mean you're a dad, all right? Now, today, I want to talk a little bit about men, all right? Because it takes a man to be a dad. Now, if you're single and you're female, you need to listen because you need to find a guy like this. And if you're going out with him, you need... Sorry, if you're not going out with someone like this and you're going out with someone who's not like this... You probably need to dump them and wait until you find someone who's good, right? True? Okay, and here's the thing. If you're, a, uh, if you're married and you're a man and you don't fit into these categories, well, you've got something to live up to, all right? And God calls us to live up to stuff, and if you live up to these categories, live up to them even more, all right? And my goal today is to incite you and to recover an enjoyment of uh, masculinity and male them, all right? I'm a huge believer, and today you'll hear some Sondergeld opinions, so you can ditch that if you don't like it. And if you like it, there's probably no real authority for why you should, but you can like it if you like it. Uh, I'm a huge believer in the fact that I think that there's a blurring of uh, masculinity actually underway at the moment. And it's not just seen in... Uh, and I'm not, I'm not going into all that gay and homosexual thing, right? I'm just saying generally I think there's a blurring of masculinity, and it's not that cool anymore to be a male... And I'm not saying that we want the project to be a church full of rednecks, all right? It's like, don't bring your ute in and it's got a built-in barbecue on the back, all right? We're probably not going to use it. But, uh, and some of you have heard the stories of the, uh, the rude things that people have said to my wife and I about having four sons. And we had some just recently, only about a month ago, some guy was pitying us in front of our children that we'd had four sons. And I almost started pitying his bleeding nose. No, I didn't really. But the thought crossed my mind. I just think, don't say that about my kids. Now, back in uh, the 1st of April, uh, I think it was last year, there was a 60 Minutes uh, story. And uh, I want to play you the introduction to the 60 Minutes story because I think this is reasonably typical about where uh, being a boy and uh, being a male is up to. So, uh, 1st of April 2012, check this. Just imagine it, seven kids, and every one of them a boy. You'd give up trying for a girl, wouldn't you? Well, not Andrew and Jodie McMahon. 
they wanted a daughter so badly they decided to have one more go. But this time there was no rolling the dice. Andrew and Jodie headed overseas where it's legal to choose the sex of your baby. Gender selection is banned here and often condemned as a first step towards designer babies. But for the McMahons it's nothing short of a miracle. That is disgraceful, all right? And the bit that's most disgraceful, I'm not going to go into the whole ethical thing, is the first seven seconds or so where it says, imagine having seven children and all of them being boys. Just going, well, you'd have a big first aid kit, right? But what's wrong with that? All right, just make sure your private health insurance is paid up and you'd be sweet. Like, that is just incredibly rude. I mean, you think about how many people in the world struggle with infertility and they start off saying, this is like hell, man. This poor person, they've ended up with seven kids and they're all boys, all right? And I just think it's ridiculous. just gets me angry watching stuff like that. And I just think, the project loves kids, right? And let's be honest, some, it's pretty noisy in here some, sometimes, true? It just is, okay? But kids are as part of this church as anyone else, and we love them. And some people have left the church because it's too noisy, okay? Or maybe we need to provide earplugs at the door. I'm happy to do that, all right? But they're every bit as much of church and they're every bit as much a soul as every, everyone else who's sitting here now, and we think they're great. And if people need to leave because it's too noisy, that's okay. But we're stoked with the spread of ages of uh, people that we've got in this church. You see, the, the numbers of our children actually uh, average more than 50% of the adult count on Sundays pretty much all the time. Some, some weeks we get close to having as many adults sitting here as we do in Project Kids and we think that rocks, all right? And it should keep going and we love kids and if you're having kids and you want to have lots of kids, have lots of kids because we think having lots of kids is cool, all right? But what actually uh, is difficult and I think part of uh, this clip is referring to part of this is it's actually tough being a parent, all right? It's true that if you had seven boys, there would be some hard times. All right, we have four and there's some hard times and it is hard sometimes and it's pretty brutal and there's a lot of energy and a lot of aggression. I mean, I often say that my four boys are like uh, the Tassie Devil in the Warner Brothers cartoons. It's just this ball of energy and unless you focus it, it's probably going to go through a plasterboard wall. All right, you want to focus that thing. But fatherhood is difficult because uh, there's a need for fathers to be strong, yet fathers need to know when to be tender, don't they? There's a need to be shrewd and wise and also there's a time for fathers where they need to act dumb, don't they? There's a need to lead in discipline but yet there's also this tempering where fathers need to make sure they don't exasperate their children and provoke them. There's a need for a dad to bring intensity to a family because there's times where dad needs to bring intensity but there's also a time when dad needs to bring peace. There's a need for a dad to lead strongly but there's never ever a place where the dad is not actually with his wife and with his family in their leadership in the house. It's not an isolated leadership, all right? It's a team leadership, yet they've got to be strong. In the very nature of leadership, the person who's the leader is the one that's out the front on their own by definition. That's just how it is. That's the way leadership works. It gets really frustrating sometimes and there's sometimes in my life and I believe God's put some kind of leadership gifting on me but there's sometimes where I have to make calls and head in particular directions and I really hate being alone. But it's the nature of leadership, gentlemen, that you've just got to be the one who's out on your own and you're going to have to be on your own sometimes and wait a little bit for people to catch up because that's the definition of what leadership is. But you're not to stay out there. It's not like... You can be this champion out there on your own that's kind of fighting all the bad guys and everyone else is kind of left behind in your wake. It's not right. But what makes it so difficult, I think, or one thing that I think makes it hugely difficult is this blurring of what manhood and masculinity is. Because it's not esteemed that highly to be a tough man anymore. All right? Men are encouraged to be soft most of the time, I think. And I'm not saying that dads don't need to be soft and they don't need to know how to be tender and how to be kind. They do. But we're kind of being taught a bit at the moment, I think, that men are meant to be, they're meant to be soft and kind most of the time. And if you're going to be a good dad, if you're going to be a good man, you're going to need to be tough. Now, Roger David had this advertising campaign, and I'm going to show you a picture 
I walked past it and I've just gone, unbelievable. All right? If you want to look at the feminization of men, you look at this, right? Check that out. Now, is that a chick or is that a man? True? He's got lip gloss on. I'm telling you, he's got lip gloss on. I'm not even making this up. He has lip gloss on. I went into the shop about a week after this campaign started, and this was uh, only in May this year, and there's a photo of a dude standing next to a girl, and you seriously have to look twice to work out which one's a dude and which one's the girl. It's amazing. I went to a uh, carols night some years ago, and sitting just in front of me was a guy that I knew was a tradesman. And I got to the end of uh, the carols night that night and I just thought this church has done nothing to prove to that tradesman that church is for anyone other than old women and children. All right? Now, if you're an older woman, I have nothing against you. We love you, all right? (laughs) Come back. Come back. And I'll get to some more stuff about churches and what they've done to men. But here's the thing. In our culture... Men are either soft or stupid. That's kind of your only two options. They're either soft or stupid. There used to be a time when a man would be strong, but they now tend to be either soft or stupid. And you actually find, I'm going to put the opposite end of the spectrum up here on the right-hand side. This man is the hairiest man in the world. All right? He has hair covering 96% of his body. Now... He has hair because he has testosterone, right? Now, I'm a bit furry underneath, right? And some other fellas are here, but isn't... I mean, I'm not even... I'm not even making drawing any kind of long kind of conclusions, right? But isn't it interesting how one of the things that make a male uniquely male is something that males ought to be ashamed about, and that's being a bit hairy, right? Now, if you're not, if you're not hairy, it's okay, all right? He's still a man. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called Tony Campolo. He, um, he's bald as a badger. And he's got this, uh, this line. He walks up to people. He said, every man's got the same amount of testosterone. And he said, if you want to use yours to make hair, that's up to you. <laughs> and the classic, raise your hand if you love everybody loves Raymond. Anyone like that? I hate it. All right? I think it's the biggest disaster. Now, I do think that there's some things on it that are funny, but the dudes, there's no sensible, wise, useful man in the whole show, right? They're all idiots, okay? Now, does life imitate art or does art imitate life? Probably both, all right? But I'm going to show you a clip from uh, Everybody Loves Rome, and this one goes for about four minutes. It's pretty funny, but just notice the way the males are portrayed, and uh, it'll... Well, laugh. It won't be wrong. It's not a sin to laugh, all right? I'll have an altar call later and you can repent for laughing at it. This is about uh, where, uh, what's the grandma's or the mum's name? Marie, there you go. Marie made tofu turkey. And I'll be right back with the tofu turkey. Mm, is that what I'm smelling? Bring it on there, ma. <laughs> tofu turkey. I'd be sitting in my apartment eating beefaroni right now. Okay, come on, Frank, we're ready. I pass. Okay, Frank, listen. Marie has cooked a very nice meal for everyone, and you are going to sit at that table and eat it. But I don't want to. We are not discussing this. You have till the count of three. One. I'm not going. Two. All right. All right. Good. Okay. So, see, this is a family. Ta-da! How about that, huh? Look how it jiggles. Yeah, that's the sign of a good bean curd bird. May I have my carving knife, please? Thank you, Frank. I want to slit my throat. 
All right, I got it, I got it, I got it. All right, uh, all right, what do you want? Give me a leg. Okay. Oh. We got, look, we got, here's your choices. We got the light, light over here, and we got dark where the food coloring has puddled. All right, just give me that. It's not food coloring. It's Worcestershire and beet juice. Oh, <laughs> see, that's very clever. Why don't you bring your dog, Robert? I don't think Shamsky would eat this. Yeah, but we could eat him. Robbie, try some. What about Raymond? I had some already. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. I did. I did from right here. You can't tell because it morphs back. All right, all right. We are all eating some. Frank. Wallow it. <laughs> Ray. Ray. say this, but could you pass some broccoli, please? See, uh, the way the culture portrays men. But I actually don't think the churches have helped that much. Churches, in my view, Ed, you're getting Son of opinion here, and I'll just put it out there and you can do whatever you want with it. They, they like their guys to be nice. It's like the ultimate thing in a church is that you'd be a nice guy. Now, I do think dudes should be nice, all right? But a nice guy is useless, true? He's just, he's like good for nothing. He's not dangerous. He's not out doing something. He's not making something happen. He's just nice, all right? And I kind of think, you might come up and say this to me at the end, and I hope you'd be lying to me or making a joke out of it, but you could say, Pete, you're you're just a nice guy. And I'm just going, well, that's a four-letter word, right? In my language, that is just a four-letter word. You don't want to just be a nice guy guy it usually means that you're a lot like your mum all right and yeah and there's nothing wrong with mums being nice mums should be nice right but if you're a man that's not a good sign now can you please find me somewhere in the gospels where someone goes up to jesus and says he's a nice guy he wouldn't he wouldn't classify as a nice guy in most churches true because he's really irritating sometimes and he says stuff and he's on about something and he's got a mission and he knows where he's going. He just, he's not going to classify as a nice guy. The, um, I remember hearing a while ago about a church that all their men went away on a, on a, a men's weekend. And this uh, guy I spoke to who came back from it, who would have been in his mid-40s, he made this comment. He said, all of our guys went away on this uh, men's camp and it just proved to me that they're all boys anyway. I'm just going, well, they failed at that one, all right? Now, is it good for dads to have fun? Absolutely. Are dads likely to be a little bit less uh, workplace health and safety conscious when they're actually having fun? Probably, all right? Mums are kind of the huso uh, person in the household and the dads are kind of the person who irritates the huso person, right? Because they're coming up with all these crazy ideas. Just find out a way you can jump off the roof without breaking a bone, all right? It's not like get down. It's like just work out how to do it so it works. 
That's kind of what dads do, right? But they don't stay there as a silly man. And what you saw in the Everybody Loves Raymond clip, who was the one who was the, uh, the parent in that clip? The wife was, right? What's her name? Deborah. Who were the kids? All the men. All right? All the men were the kids. That's ridiculous. It's very funny at times, but it's ridiculous. So what I want to cover today is um, three ways men need to man up to be a good dad. If you're not a dad yet, man up now. And you're male, man up. All right? And man up in these ways and be a good person for a lady to marry. Okay? If you're, not, if you're married and you haven't got a kid yet, learn from it and step up to it. First one's this. You are made to lead and oversee your household. You're the overseer, the leader of your household. Second one is this. You're responsible just to do something. All right? It's a big problem. I had this other clip I was going to show you of this conversation about Robert and his dating and all that sort of stuff, and there was a little bit of content in it. I thought, oh, that might cause a few problems in church, right? But the bottom line was that all the dudes were sitting there doing nothing, and it was all the women that were actually trying to help. Okay, so you just got to do something. We'll get to that in a little minute. And the last one's this. Don't wait for the reward before you do something. Three things. Here's the first one. Genesis 1 verse 26 says this. It says, uh, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let, him have, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then verse 28 says this, And God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Blokes are like a ute. It goes best in the wet when it's got a load in the tray, right? That's just how it works. When dudes don't have a load in the tray, they don't have a load on their backs, they're not actually doing something to, and taking dominion over something the way that God created them to do. They get into trouble and they do dumb stuff that they shouldn't be doing. All right? And so my question to you dads here and my question to the young guys here, do you have a load on your back? Are you exercising and working to take dominion over things? Men were made to rule. All right? Now, don't take me out of context, right? Because some of the women are going, oh, yeah, well, that's the problem, right? I've got this idiot that's a a control freak and he dominates me. No, they weren't made to rule like that. They weren't made to rule like God. All right? The, um, God's call to a man was to guard the garden. All right? To be vigilant and to protect and to serve and to lead by serving, right? Which doesn't mean being a doormat. It means being a magic carpet, right? You're just going to carry people. You're going to carry your family to where God wants them to be. And we need, gentlemen, we need to have a load on our back. Work existed before the fall, all right? And I think God will probably have some work for us to do in heaven. Work's not the bane of your existence. It might be really frustrating because it's getting thwarted now by sin and that was one of the curses of the fall. But I can tell you, and I'll be absolutely honest with you, the best years of my life and the most stable years of my life personally have been the last five or six years. And I've never had a load on my back like I've had in the last five or six years because that's the way it's meant to be. I was down at a uni intensive uh, last weekend and I was talking to this lady that was uh, doing a, uh, a master's in counselling and I was talking to her about this and she said, yeah, she said, my husband's really sick so he hasn't been able to do what he loves this year and he's, it's not good for him. And what she was really saying is she was saying, my, my husband doesn't have a load on his back this year and it's, and it's kind of killing him. Gentlemen, you need to find something to do, get a load on your back, all right? When it comes to, you know, people come up to me sometimes and they say, I want to have a gap year. And I'm just like a man. A man should never have a gap year, right? Gentlemen, there should not be any gap years at any level, for any reason, for the rest of your life, Right? No gap years, right? Because generally gap years for men are bad because God didn't make men to do nothing. He made them to do something. 
to have dominion and to rule for the good of all the people around them and their family. Amen? Is that true? Okay. There's lots of women saying amen. Now, the struggle is, right, that dads, in their desire to get dominion and to rule, can leave their families behind, can't they? And I want to say this. If you fail with your own family, gentlemen, it doesn't matter what else you succeed in. I don't care. It doesn't count anymore. You need to get your own family right. And that's, that's a direct danger for me. I've got a lot of stuff on at the moment, and it's something that I'm... I regularly check in with Ange and we talk about it and, and I just say, is everything okay? Is there, is there, am I having any effect? Is what I'm doing having any effect on you or the children? Because at the end of the day, the project could have a thousand people in it and if I lose my own family, it's useless in terms of what God's called me to, right? Because God, what God's called me to directly and first and foremost is to rule and to have dominion over my family and to lead my family in a way that they prosper, all right? And it would be an absolute tragedy, and I've seen this before, where gentlemen just get obsessed with something that God, they feel that God's called them to, to have rulership and dominion over it and a task that they're pursuing, which is kind of what God called them to do, but then they leave their family behind. And the family just gets, the kids just start going crazy around the place because it's like dad's got distracted. Hear me, gentlemen. If you fail with your family, you fail in everything. Absolutely. I love this photo. Now, that's Genesis 1, right? That's a bit scary. Women are going, don't want to go near that. Dude's going, I'd love to catch that. Do you see what I'm saying? Because that's what God's made in a man. God's made in a man that he's going to have a crack at something that's bigger than him and see if he can have a shot at it and actually tackle it. All right? My four-year-old plays rugby against my nine-year-old, right? And he backs himself to have a go. See, now, it's, it's not wrong that women, if, it's not wrong for you not to do it, right? But you just need to know that when a man's not actually tackling something that's bigger than him, he's going to end up in trouble. All right? or if he's just being stationary and he's not taking dominion and trying to exercise some kind of dominion over things, he's going to end up in a whole bunch of trouble. And gentlemen, if you're single, you can just start with getting dominion over yourself, your desires, and uh, for some young guys, they need to get dominion over their pants. All right? Anyway, I might just move on. Okay, point number two. Gentlemen, you're responsible, so just do something most of the trouble in families comes from men doing nothing they just do nothing all right now when i was at uni i made a cake for my tute class in education all right because it just absolutely just blew the they were all girls pretty much as myself and this other guy and we probably weren't all that buff anyway but they couldn't believe that a dude could actually make a cake, right? So on our last shoot, I made a cake and took it in, right? And the whole thing where, do you remember you only have to go back a, a few years and you realise it was like the men went to work and they kind of brought the money in and so when they got home, they did jack all, all right? And then the women kind of had to do everything. It's kind of like your job, you do the woman's stuff and I'll, I'll bring the money in, right? I'm not up for that at all, okay? Now, I do believe in a fair division of labour, Okay? So if the man works and the woman stays at home, I think it's fair. All right? Woman should do some work to kind of match up with the work that the man's doing at work, but it doesn't end when the dude gets home. And the big problem with it is that dudes get home and they do nothing. I walk in, I want to turn the telly on, I want to sit down, it's like give me some downtime because um, it's happy hour, right? True, gentlemen? We've got younger kids. It's happy hour, right? Happy hour goes from pretty much when you walk in the door to about 7 o'clock. The irony is that's the point in time where a man probably least feels like he wants to make a contribution, but that's the point at which the greatest contribution needs to be made, true? And it's not fair, it's not fair, gentlemen, that work would get your best and your family would get the rest. True? That's not fair. If anything... 
work should get the rest, and your family gets the best. So you better just suck it up and take a few deep breaths before you open the front door and make sure that you've got the best to give when you walk in the door, true? Because they need your best. Anyone being incited at this point in time? (laughs) Someone's going to go and burn my house, probably. (laughs) We know where you live, they're saying. But let me tell you something. This is a huge problem in our society, men doing nothing. I've got a whole doco on absent fathers. Because what happens most of the time is mums and dads split up. And I think the stat a number of years ago was something like uh, within five to seven years, 80 or 90% of kids don't see their dad again after a breakup. See, that's what I'm talking about. Dudes have got this tendency to do nothing. And the word's quite, quite clear about the fact that there's sins of omission and sins of commission. I'll get to that in a minute. I just want to play you a, um, a quick clip. This uh, Eminem was on 60 Minutes and uh, he just made this really interesting comment in the middle of his interview. I'm not endorsing everything Eminem does, but just a really interesting comment. Listen to the lyrics of many of his early songs and you do get the feeling his music has been a painfully public way of settling scores, including with his mother and his father, who left him when he was six months old. I never knew him, so... You never never met him since? Never met him, never knew him. Do you want to, or...? I don't know. I don't know. Some people ask me that. I don't think I do. I just, I can't understand how, if my kids moved to the edge of the earth, I'd find them. No doubt in my mind. No money, no nothing. If I had nothing, I'd find my kids. So there's no excuse. There's no excuse. One more time. Isn't that interesting? He's going, I would find my kids. And it's coming from a hurt kid whose dad didn't come and find him. All right, better put some scripture to this on to get opinion. Male and female bent, Genesis 3 verse 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. What was her husband doing when his wife is standing there getting tempted by the devil and taking the world to hell? What do you reckon he was doing? Nothing, right? It's the first time a dude does nothing and we, the whole world ends up going to hell, right? So don't do nothing, gentlemen. Don't do nothing. And then comes this after that in uh, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the curl of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That was probably Adam's idea. We're stuffed up. It's like... I don't know if you ever noticed this, when you work with dudes, like there's a tendency in dudes, like they won't do anything and then they'll get in trouble and then all of a sudden they're the brains of working out how to try and cover it up, right? Just, just do something, right? Don't do nothing, just do something and now he's doing something but it's kind of all the wrong way around. God says this, but the Lord God called to the man. So the guy that did nothing got asked the first question, Right? If all those chauvinists out there that have ever said to you, ladies here in the audience, something along the lines of, uh, uh, you guys sin first and that's why everything sucks now, right? And you just go, no, here's the thing, all right? While she was doing that, what were you doing? That's, that's a good question to ask, right? Because the answer is going to be, well, we're doing nothing, right? Now, the reality is, in the church, it's like we kind of get all fired up about sins of commission, right? We actually do something that's bad and dumb and stupid and evil, 
Okay, but James 4.17 says this, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The church rails so much more against things that people do and they actually don't talk that much about people being useless and doing nothing and not helping. All right? So it's not just about what you do wrong. And in the church, we've got this kind of vibe going on where if you just don't, if you're a man and you don't do anything really stupid, you're a good guy, right? But you're not, you may not be doing anything at all. And the Bible would say to you, you better just suck it up and just get going and actually do something. Don't do nothing. Nothing's not good. Nothing's bad. In some ways, I don't know, sometimes I think the coward can come out in you and you just kind of go, if I just do nothing, it'll be better than trying to do something and fail. But it's not. I have conversations with people who, who indicate that kind of stuff. They say things like, if I try and I fail, it looks worse. That's pathetic, right? This church ought to be a church where the men in it try sometimes succeed, sometimes fail, and we give them a good rah-rah when they actually have a crack at something, right? Because it's good to have a crack at something. It's worse if you're just pathetic. God said to him, he said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate classic thing he does nothing probably maybe comes up with the idea to hide between the two of them they're in there and he just kind of goes well it was the woman's fault he's going nice work adam you've just done really really well i was doing nothing man i was just minding my own business and she's just kind of messed the whole thing up so what do you end up with you end up with the then it gets passed on to the woman and god says to the woman what's going on and she gets charismatic and blames the devil instead of a husband all right who she should have blamed for what was going on and then you end up with the curse of uh of sin is this is that now we're in a position where the tendency for men is to do jack right and the tendency for women is to take over all right which is genesis 3 talks about the woman the woman's desire will be for her husband all right and i'll tell you what we would be in a far worse situation if women didn't have the impulse to take over. True? Like you look at our society and look at the, uh, the broken marriages and you look at the kids that need looking after, after and if there weren't single mums who are prepared to do the work and to take over where the blokes do and Jack, we'd be in a whole lot more trouble. Amen? So in a, but the difficulty is, in a family unit that's honouring God, the man needs to man up and he needs to be doing some stuff and the wife needs to just not take over, all right, and submit to the wife, not in a kind of a subservient kind of model, but she needs to just follow him, okay? Now, that depends. There's probably, the interesting thing is, there's, there's a lot of women who if a man would actually do his job, they'd be happy to follow him, True? And a quick tip, gentlemen, if your wife's nagging you about something, you're probably doing nothing, all right? Because that's kind of, it, it doesn't work, right? But women kind of, well, it's not happening. He's not doing anything, so if I tell him another 35 times, he might do something, right? Which, it works in reverse, right? Because the dudes are just going, that's 34, all right? Because he can't count quite as well. He's just going, that, that's 34, and that's... I'm like 34 times less likely to actually do that right now. Now here's the truth. Anyone who's been married knows that the first 10 years are probably the hardest. <laughs> All right? There's been some research out there to show that it takes about nine years for a man to actually, uh, or for people in a marriage to actually work out what unselfishness is. All right? So you just, you're going to have to hang in there, right? But here's the thing. I want to say this, if you're the man and you're married and you're in charge of your family, even when it's not your fault, it's your responsibility. And that's the way that God deals with it with Adam in Genesis 3. He says, I know, it's like you could go home and the whole house, all right, 
all of a sudden it's just absolutely, it's carnage, right? You can see through every wall, okay, there's people bleeding on the floor, all right? Your wife, you know, for the 75th time nags you about the fact that you've got to do something about the kids, all right? And you walk in and it's just in a shambles. And it's, maybe you have a day where it's like none of it's your fault. God doesn't care whether any of it's your fault. If you're the man in the house, you're responsible for it, okay? So if the kids are in a bad place and you're the man in the house, you're responsible. You're responsible for your kids' education. True? That's not the wife's job. She might help out with it. And I'm very, very glad that Ange helps out with it because I can't be at home when the homework's being done most of the time. But you know what? It's ultimately my responsibility. Gentlemen, it's ultimately your responsibility. And you will need to answer for the way that you discharge your responsibility. This is going to mean that sometimes, in fact, probably most times, you're going to need to say sorry when you don't even think it's your fault. You need to find something to break the ice to actually just say... Just find something that you did that you could be sorry about, right? And just, women are just smiling and laughing at me. Because here's the thing, it's your responsibility, right? And here's the thing, women are, maybe they're laughing a little bit because they're going, oh, like he didn't do anything wrong. Of course he did. I know that man, I've been married to the, the man for a while. He always does something when it gets all fouled up, all right? And it's probably true, gentlemen. There's always something you can say sorry for, but you know what? It's your job to break the ice. It's your job to take the leadership in that. Job is a great example of this in the Old Testament. Job 1 verse 4, it says, uh, Job's sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each, on, on, uh, each one on his day and they would send an invo- and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them, have a party, right? When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. He wasn't even at the party as far as we could tell. He's just gone, my kids have got together for a party, they probably got themselves drunk, and they probably sinned against God. So what does he do? The next day he gets up and he offers a sacrifice because he takes responsibility for the way that his children actually behaved at the party last night. That's interesting. Now, does it actually work ultimately? I don't know. But do there need to be more dads and more people here getting up in the morning and actually saying sorry to God for the sins of their children? Do I need to do it? Absolutely. Because this is what Job said. He says, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And listen to that last bit. It says, Thus Job did continually continually uh, what uh, it's another party next weekend my kids are having another party i'm getting up early the next morning and i'm going to get things i'm going to do what i can to get things sorted between my kids and god you see a false macho view of men pits them against women and children where the biblical view results in them leveraging their strength on behalf of the women and children and gentlemen, it's a hard job, but we need to carry the load. And you might say, but it's really hard. Absolutely, it's hard. That's why God's given it to you. Carry the load. Do you take responsibilities which put you under pressure? Do you? Do you look for them? Point three. Stop waiting for the reward before you do something. This is classic Christian skill territory. Obviously not this one. But it is. It's like, for you to be obedient, I want to get the reward before I start. And there's a sense in men where they just kind of sit there and they're still and they're, they don't do anything because they're wanting someone to come and give them a G up to do something, right? This is your G up. Okay? I'm, I'm giving you your G up. All right? But here's the thing. Don't sit around waiting for the reward before you actually do something. Because you know what? When a man steps up to the mark and does what he's been called to do, who gets the rewards? Everyone else. He gets the dignity of being who God's called him to be and everyone else gets the rewards. You see, man, you were never made to operate reactively to rewards. 
You were made to be the kind of person that would actually go and get the job done. Not to wait until someone encouraged you into it. And when you do, they get the rewards and you get the dignity. So let me ask you this. How many generations, gentlemen, are you thinking about? How many generations in your family are you thinking about? Where are you leading them? What's your five-minute... I mean, some of you probably maybe have only got a five-minute plan. All right? What are you going to do in the next five minutes? What's your five-week plan for your family and for your wife? I'm just going to say one more thing. This is not on my notes. You might have heard people say the best way to love your kids is to, for a man is for him to love his wife. Have you heard that? That's not going to cut it. If you're the wife if, and it's like your husband's just loving you to love the kids, that won't cut it, will it? Women? Will you be happy with that? They wouldn't be happy with it. How crazy. Gentlemen who are married and who've been married for a while, do you still like love your wife? Like lover, do you? Do you do you do nice things for her? Do you do you buy presents? Do you still buy her flowers? Do you still try to win her, or is she won, and she was won twenty years ago, or ten years ago? You still crazy for her? Wouldn't it be just the most amazing thing if all the men, all the married people in this church could be married 30 years and the dude's still doing embarrassing things because of how much he loves his wife? Isn't that the thing? Like when you're kind of courting the woman that you end up marrying, you kind of do things that are really dumb and pretty embarrassing, all right? You just kind of go, I hope you like this, but can you just please not tell anyone else that I did it? Wouldn't it be good in the project if 50-year-olds were still doing stuff like that? Wouldn't it? I mean, it would be weird because they don't. Why not? Why can't you drive past where your wife works and leave a note on a windscreen? Not because you're trying to love the kids, but because you love her. God's called you to her. God's called you to... He's put you with her. She's the one you're meant to be with, so love her. And get romantic about it. I don't probably look like a very romantic guy and I'm not going to go into that, right? But here's the thing. (laughs) Let's get some romance, gentlemen. It's not a business arrangement. Being married is not a business arrangement. It's not a contractual arrangement. So where are you leading them? What's your five-month plan? Do you have a five-year plan? Have you got a 50-year plan for your family? Have you got a 50-year plan of something that God's calling you into that your family can be with you in it and you can all just kind of go together? One of the most caustic things, I think, is when the woman becomes the, the kind of the adventure for the man. Now, the woman's going to be part of it, right? But if she actually becomes the adventure, it's actually going to kill it. He actually needs to be on something bigger and greater. Don't don't hear me the wrong way, but he needs to be on something bigger and greater than making her the centre of his universe because I think God's made the man to do that. He needs to be on about what God wants him to be on about. So gentlemen, your family needs your leadership and if you don't have a family yet, there's lots of uh, things that you can apply. You need to break new ground for your family. You need to take them ahead and get dominion. You're responsible for your family. No one else. Your wife is not ultimately responsible for your family. You are. And stop waiting for your family to bless you. Be the blessing to your family and know the dignity that God made you for. But here's the catch. And I want to finish and just play a a clip. And then we're done. 
Don't be obsessed with other things. Families need a dad that's on an adventure. But they need a dad that makes them part of the adventure and not one that leaves them behind. What are you doing? Where are you going? This is what your family needs to hear from you. What are you doing, Dad? Where are you going? Why are we here? Why are we going there? Families want to be with you. Don't separate from them. This is a song by uh, Sanctus Real. I'll put the lyrics along the bottom. Uh, particularly touched me a little while ago and then I'll pray and finish. I'm going to pray for the, uh, the dads. God, you are the quintessential father. The one who goes it alone but yet doesn't leave everyone behind. The one who is incredibly tough but also uh, tender and compassionate at the right time. It can be very, very intense but also brings about peace. And God, every man standing here who's a dad needs to learn from you about how to do it. And God, I ask your blessing upon them and I ask that you'd help them. Please help them to do their job well. Please help them to be a blessing to their family. God, I pray that their leadership would bring about peace. That their leadership would bring about security. And that their children and their wives would flourish. And God, I pray for any fellows who uh, may not I pray broadly in this room, Lord, any fellows here who may not have a plan and I pray that you'd help them to get a plan. Help them to seek you and to have a plan and to pursue something, pursue responsibility and dominion and pursue an adventure. And God, I pray that uh, you'd teach them about how to pursue something and to have an adventure in something and to uh, include the family in that and include the wife in that. God, please help them with that. Please help them not to be focused and and to make their children or their wife the centre of their world. But God, that they'd make you the centre of their world and what you're you're calling them into would be the centre. And that they'd know how to creatively call their family into the thing that they're into and the thing that you've called them into. Please help them with that. And God, thanks for being the best model of a father anyone could ever ask for. Amen.